All right, so I guess you guys noticed I got a boat up here, so now I can rock. Uh, hopefully this will keep you, keep you calm and interested. Uh, we got this boat in here because I was studying for a message, and I felt like God was giving me some stuff, and then it turned out to be way too much for one message because it was multiple different Bible stories about ships. And so I broke it up into a few different ones, and I don't have all of them, but I do have the one for this week. So I figured over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about ships. Um, and this week, we're going to be talking about a story that I know you've probably already heard, because even people that aren't Christians have heard this story. Like if you've never been in church, you've probably still heard of this story, and a lot of people have opinions on it and all kind of stuff. So... So when I tell you what we're talking about, I don't want you to do that thing where you just tune out like, oh, I already heard that story. Like, I already know the truths or I already know what he's going to try to say about that. And then just start thinking about lunch or whatever else. But listen, because I really feel like God spoke some stuff to me in this. And uh, I'm excited to share it with you guys. So today I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about Jonah. And we're going to talk about the story of Jonah. A lot of times we bounce around all in the... We bounce around to a bunch of different Bible verses and stuff, but we're pretty much today, we're going to hover right around the story of Jonah and just talk about that for the next few minutes. So, if I were to ask you, uh, who is Jonah? Or what do you know about him? What would you say? Got swallowed by a whale, swallowed by a big fish. I guess the number one thing that most of us would say or we would know about Jonah or that we've heard of. Jonah was swallowed by a whale. He was swallowed by a big fish. He ran from God. He ran from the purpose that was on his life. He was scared. He struggled with depression and he had some suicidal thoughts. But he was used by God in a powerful way. You see, God called him and God told him, I want you to go preach at Nineveh. And to us, you know, when we read that, of course, if we've not ever done any digging or studying on that, or look, it just seemed like, what? It's just a city. Like if God told me to go minister in Carrollton, what's the big deal? Well, I was Jonah so against it. But if you look into it a little bit, Nineveh is what we know today in, in modern day. It's northern Iraq. It was right there next to Jerusalem and next to God's people and where they were at. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire who were like the most powerful force back then. It was a very large and wealthy city. And these people were the enemies of Jonah and his people, the Hebrews. The Ninevites were known as a violent, barbaric, cruel, very immoral, and sinful people. Sound like a good group of people. Violent, barbaric, cruel. They would like capture their enemies and skin them alive and chop off their heads and do just like crazy things. So Jonah, one of their enemies that they like to kill and torture to take their land and go in and kidnap them and women and children. And they've done these horrible things. 
And it's this giant city that's way more powerful than them. And God's like, hey, Jonah, I want you. You're the man. I'm going to call you to do something great in the world. Okay, cool. What is it? You go preach to y'all's enemies. The ones that killed my friends a few years ago and stole our land. The ones that worship other gods, the ones that'll probably kill me as soon as I walk in the city because I'm a Hebrew. Especially when I start preaching to them that they need to repent and change their ways. Those people. So if we get kind of real, it, I mean, we all say, oh, Jonah should have never ran from God, but you probably would have ran too. If God told you to go do something like that. So, so that's Jonah. And that's a few things that that we know about him. And we're going to look at, if you're turning in your Bibles, we're going to be in Jonah. I guess you could have figured that. Chapter 1. And in verses 1 through 3, it's just telling us that pretty much what I just told you. That God told Jonah to go preach at Nineveh. He didn't want to go. Why? Because he hated those people and he was prejudiced. Just being real. He did not want to go. And if you read the whole book of Jonah, you'll see that that is true. He had a lot of hate in his heart. and He was very prejudiced. He didn't want God to forgive them. Jonah wanted God's judgment. He wanted them to be destroyed. He didn't want to go preach to them and them to get grace. So, he went down to Joppa. He paid money. And he got on a ship headed in the opposite direction. Now, you may have heard that before. Like, if you've ever heard this story preached before, whatever, you may have heard somebody say, like, he went in the opposite direction. But as I was studying this week, and I pulled up the maps, and I was hoping we could have a picture of the map up, but I don't think we got it up there. But it's pretty crazy if you go look at a map, because it's like, here's Jerusalem, and then here's Nineveh, about that close. And then... uh where that's where he was called to go Tarshish where he chartered a boat to take him it's in Spain it's not only in the opposite direction it's like about as far as he could have possibly traveled in that day and age like it's as far in the world as he could get they didn't have airplanes and stuff so he's like not only am I going in the opposite direction of what God told me I'm going to go as far as I can possibly go I'm getting out of here. I'd rather leave the world as I know it. I don't even know if he could speak the language. But he went and paid money, made a sacrifice, and headed in the opposite direction. And it tells us um, in verse 3, he found a ship going to Tarshish. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So, you know, I told you we're going to be talking about ships, right? And I got my ship right here. I'm kind of liking it. So, I've only got a couple of points in this message. Some things that I felt like God was really saying. And this is the first one. It's right there in the, in the third verse of the, of the book of Jonah. He found a ship headed away from where God wanted him to be. He found a ship. And so I want you to realize and know today that you can find a ship. That you're in ships, whether you realize it or not. And it's a good thing for you to realize that. You know, there are all kinds of ships. 
You could be in a partnership, right? And that's taking you somewhere. A relationship, taking you somewhere. There's several different kinds of ships we'll talk about over the next few weeks, so we're not going to hit all on all these, but I just want you to start thinking of different kinds of ships. There's a sportsman. Y'all help me out with the second part. How about a champion? Musician, sponsor, showman, friend, leader. What'd you say? Oh, dealer, member, fellow, battle, intern, space, owner, flag, hard, Lord. Were. <laughs> I didn't really know how to do that one. War. <laughs> That's a big difference there. Warship, worship. How about disciple? Guardian. Okay, we'll stop. <laughs> There's a whole lot of different kinds of ships. And I don't know if you noticed it, but all those ships that I just named to you are things that you can choose. You choose all of those things. Everything that I just told you is something that you can choose for your life. Like you choose what relationship you want to get into. And every one of those things, just like the ship that Jonah chose to get into, costed him. It says he paid the price to get on the ship and go all the way halfway across the world to Spain. Every one of those ships that I just mentioned to you will cost you something. You're going to sacrifice something to get in those ships. My question for you is, are the ships you are in taking you to where you want to be? Are those ships that you are in taking you to where God wants you to be? To the purpose that's on your life? Or are they taking you in the opposite direction? Are they taking you to peace and joy and hope and Ultimately, are the ships you're on taking you toward freedom or are they taking you toward bondage? Are they taking you toward more pain and more misery and more heartache for not only you but the other people that are in the ship with you? Right, because look what happens. And Jonah, skip the first three verses. We already talked about those. Verse four. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and they cried every man unto his God, little g, and cast forth the wares. They were throwing stuff overboard because it was so heavy, and they were thinking maybe if they lightened the ship, it could ride over the waves into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down to the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him, and he said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. Calling all gods, calling all gods, we're going to die. I don't know who you worship, but try calling on your God, because we already called on our gods, and it ain't working. In fact, the storm's getting worse, and we're about to die. If so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said, everyone to his fellow, come, 
and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. Now, to cast lots was something that they would do back then, and it was kind of like, look, you never seen those magic eight balls? It was pretty much like that. You'd go and cast lots, or it's like drawing straws. All right, we're going to see whose fault this is. Everybody draw straws. Whoever got the shortest straw, that's who, that's who it is. That's whose fault it is. So they're like, we're going to cast lots and find out who's trouble, who, who got us in this trouble. Imagine that. They're in this giant storm. They're all scared they're about to die. They're crying out to their gods. There's water waves crashing over. And I mean, they're in the middle of pretty much a hurricane. And then they're all going to just, okay, everybody get in a huddle and crowd around. We're going to cast lots and find out whose fault this is. But that's what they did. And guess what? Jonah drew the short, short straw. Or they, you know, they shook up the eight ball. Whose fault is this? Jonah. Oh, I didn't know this thing had names in it. So they're all staring at Jonah like, what in the world's going on? So they start asking him all these questions. Said everyone to his fellow. Sorry, I lost my place. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. And, and I want you to notice that at this point, he still won't pray. They told him to pray. It, Jonah still hadn't prayed. He hasn't repented. He's not ready to turn around or admit. He's, he still hadn't prayed. And they said to him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thy occupation? And whence comest thou? And what is thy country? And of what people art thou? They asked him, Who are you? Where do you come from? What do you do for a living? Imagine Jonah. Like, oh, this is getting a little awkward. I'm kind of a, a preacher. And uh, my God controls the land and the <clears throat> sea. <clears throat> They're like, What? Your God controls the sea? And you're, what? Hey, guys, I think we found him. Verse 9 says, and he said unto them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. And then were the men exceedingly afraid. And they said unto him, why hast thou done this? Like, why don't you pick our boat? Of all the boats that were in Joppa, why don't you have to get on our boat? Why? If your God controls the sea, why would you go get on a boat anyways? Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord. How'd they know? Because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest or this great storm is upon you. We all know that God had a fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah didn't know there was a fish following him. What Jonah was doing here is saying, I'd rather die than repent and go preach to Nineveh. 
just kill me. I'm not going to cry out to God. I'm not going to turn around. I'm not going to repent. That's how stubborn he was. He said, you know what? i tell you what. I don't want to do what God's called me to do. I don't want to do the purpose that's on my life. I'd, I'd kind of rather die. I don't want to commit suicide, so I want y'all to just kill me. Just throw me overboard. Right? Like, that's where he was. He didn't, uh, I think a lot of times, I know for me, I've heard this story a lot of times throughout my life, and, and so I think, like, throw me overboard, and we know a fish is going to swallow him, and he's not going to die, but he didn't know that. They're in the middle of a hurricane in the middle of the ocean. It was certain death. He said, just throw me overboard. Let me go. I'm not going to repent. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring it to the land because your sails aren't working at this point in a storm. So they got out their paddles and they were rowing as hard as they could to try to get the boat back to the land because they didn't want to murder somebody. They didn't want to chunk a passenger overboard and see if it worked. But they could not. The sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and they said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, has done it, has done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and they cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice unto the Lord. And they made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Okay, so... He reached all those men on the ship. So like even in his running, you know, you know the scripture Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for our good. And even he was working good there. Like God was doing a miracle and saved all of them. And they all sacrificed and repented and they made sacrifices to the real God. And now they all believe in Jehovah, in the God of the Hebrews because Jonah told them who he was and who he served and then they saw this miraculous thing and so every man on that boat the captain and all the men they saw a great thing your life affects the people around you they were all about to die every one of them because of Jonah's trouble like they were all in a storm terrified freaking out because of decisions that Jonah made to get in the ship. And just because they were in that ship or they were closely connected, they had to deal with the storm too. They threw stuff overboard and they rode harder. But you can't stop the storm. And you can't save someone else that's running in the wrong direction. That's not your job. Pastor Bruce calls it a Messiah complex. It's not your job to save people. It's your job to love people. It's your job to shine a light and tell them about Jesus. And, but you can't make people. 
get out of the boat. You can't save people. That's Jesus' job. You can love them. You can be a good example. You can be salt and light. You can remind them who they are. Remind them how big God is. You can't stop the storm. You know, Jonah would have never found God's plan if those guys could have stopped the storm or if they could have rowed hard enough to make it back to the shore or if they were strong enough or, you know, if throwing off all the cargo worked and it made the ship light enough to where they could row it back to the shore and and they were able to save Jonah's life. He never would have walked in the purpose that God had for him. I like he. It wouldn't have worked out good. So I guess what I'm saying is, think about the ships that you're in and, and the storms that you're facing, and and just think maybe. I know sometimes storms just happen, not for a reason, but sometimes we sow storm seeds. And we're reaping storms of fear and hate and rebellion and addiction and storms. We keep trying to cut down the crops with the lawnmower. And it's not working. So what you do in the storm affects the people that are in the boat with you. I want to point this out. The fish... I pictured as I was studying this this week, the fish was following the boat, right? And they're in this horrible storm, and there's this giant fish following them. And if you go look it up, like the biggest whales that we know of today, like the the biggest fish that's in the ocean that we have documented and measured and whatever. I mean, I guess there's some that we may not have seen or may not know about. But the biggest whales there are, their bellies are only about as big as a 55-gallon drum. Some a little, I mean, give or take a little, but roughly, that's not a very big space for a grown man to be squeezed into. That's not a very big space for any of us to be squeezed into. Even the smallest of us being shoved into a 55-gallon drum for three days and three nights is probably not very comfortable. Add that with the rotten dead fish and the seaweed and any other stuff that's in there and then the constant flow of stomach acids that would have been trying to break down Jonah. Right? Like disgusting, stinky, painful. Theologians tell us that when he got spit up or thrown up out on the shore that his skin was probably pale white and he looked like a leper because of all those stomach acids and for three days and three nights, you know, if you just go sit in a swimming pool for a few hours, you know how you get all white and wrinkly and all wrinkled up? Well, it'd be like that times 50 because not only were you like in water and wet for three days and three nights, but it was also it was stomach acid that was eating away the top layers of your skin. So when he came out, he would have been glowing, looking crazy, this pale few layers of skin were probably gone so he's pale white and you can see his veins crazy looking dude 
it wasn't, my point is, it wasn't a comfortable place to be. But the fish was not judgment. The fish was not punishment. The fish was grace. And for a long time, I thought of the fish as punishment or the fish was God's judgment that it got Jonah and he had to suffer in the fish. And it, no, it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't like a carnival cruise back to Nineveh. But it wasn't judgment. It was rescue. You see, the fish was there to save him. It was a rescue mission. The fish was grace. The fish was a picture of God's grace. Following. Pursuing even though Jonah was running in the wrong direction. God's grace was chasing him. Say, you know what? You're going to get thrown off this ship. In fact, you're going to get to the point to where you wish you were dead. And when you're at your lowest... My grace is going to swallow you. Not to punish you, not to harm you, not to hurt you, but to save you. No, we're saved by grace. Ephesians tells us. Can I say it this way? It was the vehicle taking him to where he needed to be. Fish was just a vehicle. Same way the ship the ship was just a vehicle taking him in the wrong direction. The fish was God's grace taking him back to where taking him back to where he needed to be. So what vehicle are you in? I ask you already what ships are you in? What vehicle are you in? I mean right now we're all in a you could consider a vehicle called New Horizon Worship Center. And hopefully through the fellowship and through the worship and through the coffee bar and through the message that I'm bringing right now that I believe God spoke to me, this vehicle can and will take you somewhere. You sacrificed to be here today and some of you sacrificed to give in the offering and there's people sacrificing to watch all the little kids and do kid space and nursery and all so that you can listen. So there are sacrifices being made to be in this ship in this time, to what ship are you in? Are you in a program? Are you in a Bible study? Are you in, and where's that ship taking you? It might not be comfortable. That fish wasn't comfortable. A lot of times, maybe I need to be in a program to take me where I need to go, or I need to be in counseling to get me where I want to be, right? But that might not be comfortable. It might be like old Jonah crammed in a 55-gallon barrel having layers of my skin eaten off, and that, at that point, counseling doesn't feel like where I need to be. But it's a vehicle that's taking me to where I need to be. It feels like sometimes when we have rules put on us that it's judgment. But sometimes that's what the grace vehicle feels like. No, uh, we had a bird back when we were doing warrior training in the mornings. We, we would meet in the foyer out here and drink our coffee and we'd 
do our Bible study, and then we work out together. And uh, we came in here one morning, and there was a bird that had gotten in the church somehow. And this bird, like, he kept flying, and he would get flying around in circles, and he would fly as fast as he could at the big glass window in the front, and boom, he'd slam into the window with his beak and fall on the ground and flop around like he was going to break his neck. He was going to hurt himself, and he just wanted freedom. All he wanted, and he doesn't understand glass. He had pooped all over the floor, and feathers were out everywhere, and it wasn't his finest moment. I'll tell you that. He should have been embarrassed. His neck was all crooked like this, where he'd been slamming into the glass, and his tongue was sticking out, and it, like, it was a rough, rough time for him. And he was looking for freedom, but he didn't know where to find it or how to get it. And I tried to grab him, and he was just too hard to grab and kept flopping around and wouldn't let me grab him because he didn't know I was trying to help him. All I wanted to do was give him the freedom he was so desperately longing for and searching for. I was going to open the door and release him so that he could have real freedom. And so you know what I had to do? Go in the youth room in here and go looking around and find a blanket and came in there and took the blanket and threw it over top of the bird. And then when the blanket landed, you've probably done this. If you ever had a bird get in your house or anything, that's not the first time I've done this with a blanket and a bird. You throw the blanket on them and then they're flopping around under there and then you can grab the blanket and you grab the bird inside the blanket and he's wrapped up in the blanket. He can't get away. He can't poop on you. He can't hurt you or claw you or peck you and he can't hurt himself. And in that moment... That bird feels trapped. He feels much like Jonah felt in the belly of that whale. He feels like it's over. He feels like somebody has taken away all of his freedom and all of his liberty and all of his choices. I can't even choose. Because you're choosing what you think's better for me, you big freaking giant with a coffee pot. That's what the bird was thinking. I could tell. And I walked him out the front door and opened up the blanket and he flew away. And in my mind, he should have slowed down a little bit on the flying and take a look back and been like, thank you, kind giant, for setting me free and saving my life. He didn't. He just pooped and kept on flying. All I wanted to do was set him free. And when you get in the ship, the fish, the vehicle of grace that God sends to take you where He wants you to be, sometimes it's going to feel like rules and sometimes it's going to feel like you're losing things or, or you're trapped or it's dark inside the blanket and I can't even, I don't know why. Why do I have to be trapped in this blanket? Why can't I see where we're going? Why do, why do I? Take it easy. Take a breath. Because God just wants to set you free. He wants to send you back in the right direction and take you back to where you were supposed to be. But the fish was following him. Psalms 23 is maybe the most famous psalm. It's read in movies and at pretty much every funeral. But Psalm 23 verse 6 is probably really familiar to you. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the house, at home, I'll find my place. I'll dwell, live, stay there in God's house. I was going to read you how the Message Bible worded that. I dropped my Message Bible and lost my place. 
Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God. Can't see it. For the rest of my life. Thank you. Your beauty and love chase after me every day. You know, sometimes we're ugly. The things that, sometimes the things that we choose are pretty ugly and messy and dirty. Take that back. We're not ugly. You're beautiful. God created you. But sometimes the things that we choose create an ugly mess. David says, your beauty and love chase after me. Like even when I'm running, your goodness and your mercy are chasing me. They chase us. That's Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for our good. Grace makes ugly things beautiful. Like that's what God does. He takes all of our ugly and all of our mistakes and all of our running and all of our failure and he works it all together for good. And I know you can't see how he's going to work it all together for good and that's not your job. You don't have to see how. If you could, then you could be God, but you're not. So you don't know everything and neither do I. I've told y'all about this guy before, but I never, I, in fact, I didn't even know myself until I did some reading this week. So I'm not going to tell you the last name because I don't want you to already know like what you think about this guy. But I, I just want to tell you about this guy named John. And this is a true story. Um, I'll tell you his last name in a minute. But his name is John. He was born in 1775. He had a religious Christian praying mom that tried to get him to memorize Bible verses and teach him to pray every night and stuff. But his dad was non-religious, to say the least. His dad was a sailor. Um, and his dad did not believe in God or go to church or anything like that. So, so John was learning about God from his mom and not at all from his dad. And when John was about seven years old, his mom passed away. So by the time John was 11 years old, he was on the seas full-time with his dad. And so John became a drunken sailor. He developed a very bad addiction to alcohol there on the ships with all the grown men, and, and John was known as a drunken sailor. In fact, if you go read about him, one of the things that he was known for was that he held the record of all the other sailors and when they would go into a port and go into a bar he held the record that he could cuss longer than anyone without repeating himself and using the same cuss words they said he was known to be able to cuss for two hours straight that's a heck of a thing to be known for isn't it he was the best cusser there was and not like a nice cusser like this is fun party trick like everybody hated him he was a jerk Talks about how he had no real friends, no real uh, relationships in his life, and he was this drunken sailor, cussing maniac, violent. And this is how much people didn't like him. His ship and his crew landed on the coast of Africa. 
and they got off and there was some drinking going on and I don't know what all happened there in Africa, but they got ready to leave and it started seeming dangerous and there were some African tribes were coming up and so they looked around and said, where's John? And a couple people said, I don't know. And they said, well, let's go. They got on the ship and left John in Africa. He was captured by the African tribes and forced into slavery there in Africa where he was tortured, beaten. He said they would have him chained where he couldn't use his hands and they would just throw a little bit of food in the dirt and kick it in the dirt and he'd have to crawl and like dig it out of the dirt with his teeth because you didn't have your hands or anything to use, but he was starving to death. So that's how they would feed him. They would force him to work. They would abuse him in all different ways. And for two years, he was a slave in Africa. Finally, he figured out how to escape. And one day he got free enough to escape and they weren't looking and he got away and he ran and ran through the jungles and through the woods until he came out on a beach and he started gathering wood and he lit a fire, a signal fire. And him being a, a sailor, a shipman, a captain, he knew how to send up a signal fire that would alert if there were any passing ships, help. And that was his only hope because he had to get, off, get out of Africa and he had no way. So he lit the signal fire and a ship happened to see it. And they came by and they sent a little rowboat because they knew what it was and they got him onto the ship. And there he laid on that ship after two years of torture and abuse and brokenness and hurt and pain. And he decided then and there on that ship what he would do with the rest of his life and what his new profession would be. And he became a slave trader. And he would go back and capture African men, women, and children and abuse them and sell them and ride them on ships back to England and sell them to people as slaves. He broke up families. He let people die under his watch because they weren't worth it. And he became one of the most evil, vile men that is recorded in history. He brought hundreds, if not thousands of ships full of African people that he kidnapped and forced into slavery to get revenge, payback, heart so full of hate so full of unforgiveness he was a bad man and one night a really really bad storm hit and he did something that he hadn't done since his mom died when he was seven years old he got so scared that he was about to die in a storm on a ship on the ship that he chose this slave ship his ship he was the captain he was so scared, he did something he hadn't done since his mom died when he was seven. He prayed to God. And his prayer was very simple. It was, God, save me. God, save me. Don't let me die. Will you save me? And he didn't die that night. But he got a very bad sickness. And he couldn't sail anymore. He got kicked off the ship. He could no longer sail. He went back to the city 
was wandering around in the city empty and broken, still full of hate and unforgiveness. And he went to a church and the preacher was preaching about the grace and forgiveness of God that could forgive anyone no matter what you've done that the cross paid for your sin that, that Jesus paid the price and for some reason he believed it he thought to himself could it be is there hope for somebody like me he did three things after that he became a pastor. Got his own church and started preaching in England. You know what the second thing he did was? He worked tirelessly to abolish slavery. He wrote a book about the evils that he had done and specific details of things that were done to the slaves and to the people and put the books out for everyone to read and everyone to find out what happened. And him working alongside Hannah Moore and William, I forgot his last name, and, and some others, they were able to do it in England without a war. They abolished slavery. They ended slavery because of him and his efforts and the book that he wrote, they, they ended slavery in England at that time. The third thing he did, well, he did a lot of things, but the third thing that is noteworthy, he wrote a song, and I'm sure you've heard it, but the song is called Amazing Grace. This man, John Newton, was the author of Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. God's grace was chasing even him, and he was feeble and blind in the natural physically he went blind and he said I quote my memory is nearly gone but I remember two things that I'm a great sinner and that Christ is a great savior he chose to remember those two things you see, grace takes ugly things and it makes them beautiful. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done or, or what's been done to you. Or... Grace can make it beautiful. Can God change people? Yeah. Yeah, He can. Can He make an addict sober? Yeah. Can He make a porn-addicted person free and give them healthy love life? Yeah. Can he take a slave trader and use them to abolish slavery? Yeah. When? When we get off the wrong ships and we start getting on the right ones. 
we start jumping into grace and realize what he did for us. I won't read you the whole rest of the story because I'm going to wrap this thing up. But when Jonah got into the well, he finally prayed. Now when this Bible fell off, I lost my place. The whole chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer. Oh, man, I think we got it to put up for you. Yeah. Then Jonah prayed to his God from the belly of the fish. He prayed in, t- in trouble, deep trouble. I prayed to God, and he answered me. From the belly of the grave, I cried, help. And you heard my cry. The whole chapter 2 is the prayer about how he was dead and how he had seaweed around his head and how his mind was in such a bad place and he was at the depths of the sea and he thought it was over for him. But God sent a fish and God saved him and he was thanking God in that place. He had gratitude. And then at the end of there, at the end of that, um, It says that the Lord spake to the fish and the fish had swam him all the way back to Nineveh and threw him up, spit him out. And the very first verse in chapter 3 says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Saying what? The same thing he said the first time. It's not over. Just because you didn't, you ran away the first time, guess what? Grace took him back where he needed to be, and then God said, here, you get another chance. And for somebody today, I was just supposed to tell you, he's saying it to you a second time. You got a second chance. He's calling you again. He brought you all the way back, and, and he's saying, will you do it? And I won't read you the rest of the story. We know he got thrown up by the well on the beaches of Nineveh and he went up to the city and he went through the city and the Bible tells us that the city was so big it took him three days to walk through the city. He walked through the city preaching and the greatest revival in history broke out and 120,000 people believed in God and repented and put on sackcloth and linen and all the way from the poorest people in the city all the way up to the king and then the king even made a decree that everybody in this city will repent and change their ways and and rub ashes and sackcloth on themselves and then he said you know what even the animals we're going to fast and we're not only going to fast food we're fasting water too and the animals don't even let a donkey or a sheep or a cow eat anything even our animals are fasting and maybe God will save us well, Jonah went through and preached to him, and then he, Jonah went on out of the city and kind of sat up on a hill there and waited to watch them all get destroyed because he wanted to see them destroyed. Remember, he didn't like them. And God had mercy on him. Jonah got mad because God had mercy, and God had to, like, see about him because he was all upset. Like, oh, I can't believe you had mercy on them. These are bad people. Why? Oh, I knew you were a gracious and merciful God. That's why I didn't want to come tell them. 
because I knew you were going to save them. Go read it. That's jo- that was Jonah's attitude in chapter 4. Jonah was like, I knew you were going to save them. That's why I didn't want to go tell them. I know you're gracious and merciful. That's how we get when we start forgetting that God saved us too. Right, Jonah, you were supposed to be dead. You were disobedient to God too. Like, every one of us have sinned and messed up, and all of us have opposed the holy God. We've all spit in His face. So, if we start forgetting that we were saved by grace and that we were brought from a long ways off too and that we've run away before too, see, we all run. Everybody runs. And it's just as ugly as the one that's so far away being crazy for us to be the bitter, angry, I'm better than them, prejudiced person. I'm better than them because I'm more spiritual than them. I'm better than them because whatever reason. That's just as ugly. But God used him to save 120,000 people. I don't know how that happened. You wonder, how did this one prophet walk through this giant city of these evil, barbaric people, and how did everybody from the poorest person in the city all the way up to the king like believe him well there's a couple reasons for one they had had two really bad plagues hit in the in the couple years leading up to that and then around that time there was a total eclipse of the sun which would have been understood in those times as a symbol of divine anger so what Jonah didn't know was God's been preparing these people's hearts for a couple years to come back, to turn back to him and to repent. God sent a couple of plagues and then God, there was a solar eclipse of the sun and he had them believing that it was, and they just didn't know the right God, but God was like setting them up anyways. Then the other thing was the main God that they worshiped in their temples and stuff was the Philistines call him Dagon. They, the Ninevites had a different name for him, but it was the fish God. And there are statues of him. If you go, just you can go Google Dagon and it'll pull up different statues and things that they had. But it's a half man, half fish that lived in the ocean and ruled the seas. That's who they worshiped. That's who they sacrificed to. Now, you tell me in a highly populated city of at least 120,000 people that we know of, that when a giant fish swam up to the shore and threw up a man who was glowing white. And the man came walking up into the city smelling like a fish. You think nobody saw that? No, people saw it. And they probably listened. They worshiped the fish god. And then when he walked up in the city and he said, hey, guess what? Here's the real god. Here's who he is, it's Jehovah. The Hebrew God, that's the real God, and he sent me to tell you that if you don't change your ways, he's going to destroy all of y'all in 40 days. And they were like, okay, we're sorry. We're so sorry. Their hearts were already prepared. Now fish boy shows up. But wait, I thought the fish was a punishment and he was running from God, but that's how Romans 8, 28 works, that all things work together for our good 
to them that are called according to his purposes, like that was his purpose and his call. So God used that to spark the greatest revival that the world had ever known. Used his rebellion and his running and what he had been through. The grace vehicle and the fish cologne. To them it smelled like a god. I guess I just want to close by saying we all run. I want you to know that. I ran and the storm hit. And just like Jonah, he called me again. Hey, storm hit. Let's try again. You ready yet? You can run again if you want. You're probably going to find another storm though. And he's going to call you again. He will keep on pursuing you. You know what else? Do you know you can run in your mind? You don't have to physically be running. You can run away in your mind, trust me. That's where I'm the best at running. I'm good. Shoot, I beat Tristan in 5Ks. In my mind, I'm always the winner. You can run from God in your mind. It's the easiest place to do it. Some of y'all are running right now. You have no clue what I'm saying. And now you're like, oh, wait, what'd he say? But we all run. Some of us run further than others. And God chases us. And the Father runs to stop the judgment, the rejection, the cutting off of the prodigal son. We've all sinned. Romans 3.23 tells us, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were in our sin, or while we were at our worst, at that moment Christ died for us. The worst thing you've ever done, the worst moment you've ever been in, the worst it's ever gotten for you, at that moment, He died for you. That's grace. Ephesians 2.8 tells us that we're saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. Remember Luke 15, 11 is where Jesus tells the story of the two sons. And we Christians have labeled it the story of the prodigal son, but Jesus never called it the story of the prodigal son. Jesus said it's the story about a father and two sons. The story was about both sons. Now you might understand where I'm going with this because I already kind of went there with Jonah. But Nineveh was the prodigal and Jonah was the other brother. Jonah was the one mad that they were going to receive grace and that they were going to receive the blessing. And, and, and God's word to Jonah was the same as the father's word to the two sons. I have grace for every race. I have grace for you and them. You've been with me always, the father told the older son. You see, if you're the brother that stayed home, but you're filled with judgment and unforgiveness, then you're running from the heart of the father. And you have boarded a ship taking you away from grace. 
headed in the opposite direction of where you need to go. We all run. You know the difference in me and a murderer? I haven't killed anybody. Everybody runs. I don't know what it is that's got you wrapped up like the dove in the blanket. It might be fear or depression or self-harm, anger, something that's wrapped around your mind or got you thinking you're going to die and you're falling down like Jonah before the fish grabbed him. He said, there's seaweed all around my, my mind. Maybe it's some type of abuse or jealousy. And Jonah finally cried out to God and God saved him by his grace. The fish. It's okay if it's kind of cramped conditions where you're at right now. It's okay if it's a little uncomfortable. That's fine. You needed to get out of that ship you were in. God, I'm in a storm. Help. Help, God, I'm in a storm. There's a storm in my life. And God sends a fish. And just like Jonah was saved by the body of the fish, you will find your freedom in the body of Christ, in the church, in right relationship. That's where you will find your freedom. That's where we find healing is together. That's where we find help and grace and hope. You'll find your freedom in the body of Christ, in church, in right relationship. Together we heal. Together we find freedom and hope. I don't know what it looks like for you. Maybe, maybe you need to tell somebody you trust. Or maybe you need to just make a decision to start coming to church. And that's day one in the fish. And everything might not change on day one. But you keep on doing it. Right, maybe then you decide, okay, well, I'm doing that. I'm giving thanks to God. And you start getting a little gratitude flowing like Jonah did in the fish. And you're starting to pray and talk to God. And then you decide, all right, I'll agree to do some counseling. And that's day two in the fish. And it's a process, and, and you do the things you need to do, and you keep taking the steps. Meanwhile, the fish is swimming towards your purpose. Because it's wrapped up in its grace, and it's God. And, and as big a steps as you feel like you're taking, the whole fish is swimming you to where you need to be. He was headed straight for Nineveh the whole time. And so even inside the fish, it's cramped and it's dark and it stinks and it, and it might not look like you're getting anywhere. You might feel like I'm just stuck. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm, I'm getting anywhere in life. But I promise you, if you're in the right ship, if you're surrounded by grace, you're headed there. And you find healing. And He reminds you of His grace over and over and over. Let's pray. Hey, God, thank you. Thank you for reminding us again of who you are. 
thank you that every story in the Bible, that every story throughout the Old Testament, it just points back to Jesus and the cross and to grace, to who you are and who we're created to be. God, I thank you that you're so good and you're so faithful that even when we run in the opposite direction that you got a fish called grace chasing us. God, help us to examine the ships that we've chartered and the direction that they've got us headed. Because we want freedom. And we know that you want freedom for us as well. God, we love you. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.